Mendoza follows the attack with a diving stomp to the ribs of Blue Demon. But Santo, the idol of the crowd, jumps in to help his partner. Now he's being horribly beaten by Rey Mendoza and his tag team partner. He's really taking damage. Now the crowd is screaming to the referee, pleading to him to make the two rudos respect the rules to stop them from beating Santo two on one. What a backbreaker! Blue Demon goes in for the save but collides with the powerhouse, Ray Mendoza, who stops him right in his tracks. Santo tries to escape from Enrique Vera, but gets caught in another backbreaker, and Blue Demon gets a torture rack, and now both of them have tapped out. The match is now tied. Ray Mendoza and Enrique Vera win the second fall. Welcome to Twitch of the Death Nerve, a cult movie podcast that takes a deep dive into a different film each episode. Our wide-ranging discussions will touch on genre, culture, and the history of psychotronic cinema. I'm Charles. I'm Sam. I'm John. And while I'm excited for every episode we do, today feels extra special. A few weeks ago, John, when you suggested that we get back to our psychotronic roots and do an episode on a Santo movie... I was immediately down. You know, I, I figured it'd be light and fun and goofy, uh, a walk in the park for us. You know, we, we can crack jokes. I had no idea that I was going to fall in love. I mean, the original plan was for us to watch a few Santo flicks, pick out the silliest one, and do an episode on it. But at some point, I'm not sure when, it became apparent to me that I wasn't just watching some low-budget Mexican curiosity. I was becoming a, a genuine fan. I, I couldn't get enough Santo. I wanted to know everything about the guy. And here we are. <laughs> Which is why we're doing something a little differently this episode. So instead of focusing on one movie like we normally do or working through some kind of set list... Pull up your chairs for Santo Mania. We're going to talk more generally about Santo, one of the world's most beloved pop culture heroes. And I also discussed Santo and Mexican pop culture with a Mexican cinema expert. So we'll include that conversation later in the episode as well. And, and I guess before we you know, get into the history of Santo and start getting into the I guess, like nitty gritty of, of it all. I wanted to throw a couple questions at you guys. How did you first hear about Santo? Like, was there a, a movie that you saw out of the blue or was it something that you knew about going into it? Like, John, how would you, how did you first come across the man in the silver mask? Santo versus the vampire women the U.S. release of it, Samson versus the Vampire Women, was a great Mystery Science Theater 3000 episode. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like that's that's a real common answer for, for most of the, like, psychotronic cult film fans in the U.S. Mystery Science Theater 3000, I loved it growing up, and it definitely exposed me to so many different movies and just, like, weirdo psycho genre fare. But... And it's and it's so strange, like being a little older and thinking back that I used to only really think of these movies as something to to laugh at. You know, you drink a beer with your friends and you crack jokes, which I mean, not to knock it. That's always fun to do, too. But 
I feel like, and that's why I was so shocked going into these Santo movies that I thought we were we were just gonna be goofing around, and and at first we were, but the more we watched them, just the more I feel like we fell in love with the guy. I mean, w- I mean, I already was a Santo fan. I definitely watched more movies than I had previously seen because you know we all got a- addicted for this episode, but. My exposure to Santo was not through Mystery Science Theater, which I, we could talk about this on another episode. I don't want to go on too much of a tangent, but I've always kind of hated it because I feel like it looks down on movies and it sort of encourages the audience to do the same. And with these, like I first came across Santo just reading about him and his movies in like zines and those sorts of long lists of movies that you should look for on VHS or, you know, favorite horror movies from around the world. So it was like I read about him a lot before I actually saw any of the movies. And there's just like, like, yes, they do have that kind of silly vibe, but they're also so much more than that. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I first came into Santo's orbit because I loved those, like, I don't even know how to describe them. They're like these, like, psychotronic mixtapes, you know, where they, like, cut together a bunch of crazy footage from, like, movies from all over the world. And and there was this one that I, I had, like, 10 episodes of it. I'm pretty sure it aired on some, like, Midwest public access channel, and it was called Forbidden Transmission. They had uh, like kaiju episodes and all kinds of cool stuff. I loved putting them on uh, during parties and and when people wanted to hang out and watch movies, but no one actually wanted to watch movies. They wanted to just like chit chat and 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 you know and and hang out, you know. But they wanted to have something weird going on in the background. And there was this one forbidden transmission episode that I don't know which one it was, but like Santo was all over it. And and I remember being struck by just how how insane it was. It was this like man in a luchador silver mask wearing this like gorgeous suit and tie. And he's like fighting fucking vampires and fighting fucking like <laughs> demons from hell and shit. And it's like, who who is this guy? What is this shit? And so that was my first introduction into him. And then every once in a while, when we would do our movie marathons, uh, a Santo movie would slip in. I know last year, last uh, October, we did a really cool Frankenstein marathon. And they were all like kind of offbeat, you wouldn't expect it type of Frankenstein flicks. And one of them uh, was Santo versus Frankenstein's daughter. Or Santo and the Blue Demon versus Frankenstein's daughter. I'm not too sure. And that was like the first one that I really like sat down and watched. And I loved it. It was so fucking cool. Santo is also so hard to describe because I feel like we don't have anything similar in U.S. movies. I mean, like, yes, he's a luchador, but he's also sometimes a monster hunter and sometimes a secret agent and sometimes a superhero. It, like, it's so hard to sum up exactly what he is. And part of that is because he's in 50 fucking movies. I mean, well, 52 technically, 
and we watched a lot of fucking Santo movies. I mean, I know you probably watched a few more than us, John, but like there's so many, like we barely scratched the surface of this guy. Which is great because then we have more to watch in the future and it means we could one day do another Santo episode. (laughs) Yeah. But I guess how exactly would you guys describe what the vibe is for these movies? Oh, I mean, it's very difficult because they span so many different genres. But like at its core, you always have that superhero fighting for truth and justice and that's like that's always like the the one factor that remains in all of them like i watched one where it was a western and then i watched one where he has to go to indonesia and save some occult star child and the only (laughs) the only thing these two movies had in common was that santo is like i will continue my crusade for good over evil yeah, but I, I think I think what makes him great is I feel like Santo is what like we're in a we're, we get a million superhero movies a year. And I feel like Santo is what those movies should be like. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I wish. Yeah. <laughs> and there's like so many tropes throughout these movies that are are so comforting. And I think I mean, I love the Zadoichi films. And I remember when I first discovered the Zadoichi films, I like watched a couple in like the middle of the series. There's like 26 of them. He's the blind swordsman. And, and they also kind of do that thing where they sort of blend together. But I went back and I watched every single one in order because I fell in love with the guy. And, and they all kind of have this thing where, well, not all of them, but he's approached by a stranger who is like, has this terrible problem. Zadoichi and Santo both. And in like Zadoichi films, it's always like there's like, you know, the big boss of the town rules with an iron fist. And there's all these like gambling dens and someone's like held in bondage and and Zad- they need Zadoichi's help. And and Santo, that's sort of always kind of happens in a bunch that we watched. Like there would be someone whose family is cursed by Dracula. Dracula wants to fucking turn the whole family into zombie monster freaks and they need an amulet and you know there's this beautiful young daughter in the family who's who's being targeted and and santo is enlisted to help them and it's just it's so cool like i i love that feeling where each movie has like a handful of things that you kind of know are going to happen but it's like how they happen it's like how how's you know uh, the mad scientist gonna fucking do some crazy shit in this one. It's 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 so cool. Yeah, they definitely have this Saturday morning cartoon vibe, which I I think is something that you kind of pointed out to me while we were watching it because it's it's hard for me to put my finger on exactly what I love about these. Like I definitely grew up watching cartoons and reading comic books, but never got super big into superhero comics, which this, like, at times, as we've been saying, he kind of is a superhero. Like, his actual title, which shows up at the beginning of every single one of these movies, is El Unmascarado de Plata, which is the man in the silver mask. And he has this... If So if you're totally unfamiliar with luchador wrestling or santo he 
has a variety of amazing outfits. Like Charles mentioned, he, he wears these great suits. Yeah, he's so fucking cool. But he has this silver mask that he never takes off. And and that was true in real life. I thought this was uh, like a myth or something because like, like we're saying, he's like a superhero, but he's also a folk hero. And not just in these movies, but in real fucking life. Like Santo, like the greatest... Uh, not crime, but the greatest, uh, you know, terrible thing to happen to a luchador wrestler is is to be defeated in the ring and to have their mask stripped from their face. And then they're outed as who they are, and they're basically forced into retirement. Santo famously never took off his mask, like, outside of the ring. He never was defeated in the ring in, in, a, mas- or in a match where his mask was taken off. And I'm I'm thinking like this is this is myth making you know folk hero BS like it's not actually true that's just kind of something that like you know is publicists or whatever and it built up over time yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah he had a separate mask for eating when when he had to get on a plane with like the cast and crew for the movie and they're going to fucking you know Cuba to shoot some some flicks they shot a bunch in Cuba he would get a flight without the cast and crew. So that way, when he had to go through customs, like no one knew who he was, it was all done in secret. And I mean, can you imagine that kind of dedication, like not just to a character, but to a persona, but and and a persona that's so inspiring to so many people like the guy's a fucking legend. Not only that, I don't know how true this is. This is the one that like really pushed it over the edge for me. I'm like, this is brilliant. But when he would fly to different places, he'd set it up where when you have to show your passport, he would call ahead and they would bring him to a separate room where he would take off his mask and only one person could check his passport and see him without his mask on. Yeah, like that is That's insane. Yeah, that's so cool. <laughs> like there there's really like I, I want to compare him to Zadoichi. I want to compare him even to fucking like Godzilla. Godzilla movies, you know, where there's just like so many movies where there's this guy who's like a guy. Yeah, Godzilla. He's a guy. He is he's our guy. <laughs> he's our guy. But like it's it's kind of like that where he's so fucking cool and you like know what he's going to do, but you still love to see him do it and 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 even like the fucking Harlem Globetrotters, who are this like undefeated, you know, basketball goofball like team that almost feel like like a wrestling act where there's like the kayfabe, you know, where it's kind of fake but kind of real. You know, I don't want to spoil and say wrestling's fake because obviously it's all real, but it's I, all real. But I mean, it's but he's so you can't compare him to any of those things because he's a real fucking guy. Like despite the fact that he's fighting fucking, you know. <laughs> she wolves and fucking you know cyclopses cyclopses and fucking you know underwater nazi fucking i it's nuts but he's like a real guy he's also like watching the movies or watching so many of the movies and just reading these stories about how he never took his mask off in life like 
in the last couple of years, people complain when they have to wear half a fucking mask for an hour. <laughs> and it's like this guy never took a whole mask off or barely took an entire head mask off for 50 years. Yeah. I bet it would suck for uh, Santo during the pandemic, though, because he has to wear a silver mask. And then and he's, a mask over And then the put the mask <laughs> over it. <laughs> Although I did notice in some of the movies that some of the like evil wrestlers like Tinieblas, I think his name is, would wear this like full face mask so that his whole face is covered almost like Power Rangers style. Yeah. So that was one thing I was kind of curious about going into it was because I know there's so many different, you know, luchador, lucha fighters like throughout Mexico that were even popular before Santo. Like Santo wasn't even the first guy to get his own like movies. But why was it that Santo was the one that just held such purchase over the Mexican cultural imagination for so long? Like, the guy was, you know, an idol. And, like, why was it that, like, he is so fucking cool when, like, guys like Blue Demon, like, Blue Demon and Santo team up a whole bunch, but Blue Demon's solo movies are... Uh, Not as good, maybe? Yeah, and he's kind of, like, a less compelling character, but whenever he, him and Santo are teamed up, it's just like, it's so cool. And you love to see these two fucking kings together. But like, why is Santo the one? I love seeing the two together, though, because the scenes where it's like not them wrestling monsters, but doing things like playing chess. Oh, my God. Yes. Or, yeah. <laughs> or, or like doing research. Yeah. It's just like, this is so cool. I, like, I Okay, that was one thing that the, I, the chess scene. Yeah, I was so shocked about about that because I expected and and I don't mean to sound like yeah, okay, I'm a little judgy. I expected Santo and the Blue Demon to just be these fucking like tough ass meatheads, you know, who like beat the shit out of fucking monsters and like, you know, make out with chicks all the time and they're always like, you know, they're like broy wrestlers because i'm used to american, american wrestlers yeah. where it's like you know big dick cheese man with the cheese head fucking you know talking smack talking trash on how the rock writes checks that his can't cash because the rock talks trash like all of a sudden nobody knows the rock talks trash. the rock lives breathes walks talks trash all day long as a matter of fact undertaker the rock as a matter of fact, Undertaker, The Rock talks trash in his sleep, just like this. Rudy Pukenia. Lay the smack it down on him. But no, Santo and the Blue the Demon, the like, this, they're so well-dressed, they're respectful to people, they play fucking chess, and they hit the books. Like, when a problem comes up, you know, they hit the books. They figure out like how to how to solve things, and they don't just use brute force. But I mean, obviously, they're fully capable of using brute force. But like, uh, they're just there's so much more to them than what I expected going into it. And I felt like I felt like kind of a a ding dong for assuming that this was just going to be, you know, dumb cheesy bullshit and. No, I, 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 that's one of the things I like about them. Like they're, they're brainy, you know, they, and they do the required reading and such. Yeah. And it's just like, you, and you, and you don't have to have like the egghead character explain the plot to them either. Like they're always doing it because, you know, that's as part of them fighting the bad guys as 
wrestling them is. Yeah, they're they're detectives. Yeah, yeah. It's so weirdly wholesome. Like, I don't want to say that these are kids' movies because they're clearly not just directed at that particular audience. Like, they're broader than that. But, like, like you said, Santo is so respectful to people, especially to women. But at the same time, like anybody who knows anything about Mexican culture and machismo, he's not like gross about it. He's respectful. He doesn't take advantage of his fame the way that I think wrestlers maybe are portrayed as doing in the U.S. And there are even scenes like in Santo and the Blue Demon versus Dracula and the Wolfman there are a lot of female characters and Santo's girlfriend in particular, there are a couple times in the movie where she has to save Santo and Blue Demon. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I, I know we're kind of doing the scattershot approach to these movies, but I, I want to say Santo and the Blue Demon versus Dracula and the Wolfman was probably my favorite of the bunch. And I think it's because it had every single thing that I love about Santo movies in one flick. Like, that's the one that has them playing chess and discussing things. And it has, like, these great villains. There's, like, this fucking hunchback guy who's helping Dracula, like, bring the Wolfman back to life. And they're doing this big scheme on this family to, like, it's just, it's so imaginative. And it's so gorgeous. There's a version on on Tubi. and Usually we we give shout outs to like great Blu-rays and great, you know, boutique companies that release these flicks. But on fucking Tubi, there's a handful of Santo flicks that I, I don't know who restored them or or who did the dubbing. They did these like fan dubs that are just so uh, like you can tell the people doing the dubbing love Santo and and are they're doing such a great job and there's like one guy who's who's like a Jamaican the dude the hunchback the hunchback is is voiced by uh, obviously a fucking Jamaican dude and and it's just like so cool like it, it it's it's so fun and and usually I don't want to recommend like oh you should you know check out the dubbed version of whatever I usually think subtitles are the way to go but it was a joy to watch this flick and to watch it dubbed on Tubi. It's, it was really great. I can't believe how good those restorations look. I mean, like, definitely the way I was introduced to Santo movies was just these really crappy bootlegs or, like, cheap DVDs that you would find in the $5 bin where it's, like, you know, you go to Best Buy and there are 10 movies on one disc and yeah. sometimes they don't all play. <laughs> <laughs> I love those things. But this, like, a lot of, I think, what we'll talk about more throughout the episode is these are, as Charles was saying, so gorgeous. And a lot of the horror movies in particular have this amazing atmosphere. Like sometimes they look like hammer movies. Oh yeah. And I think having the restorations makes that stand out even more. If I'm not mistaken, I think it's, it's shout factory that put out like a box set like a year or two ago. And I think that's what ended up on Tubi. Okay. But I, I, I know like a, a, a good company did it and they released it, but, uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I think I, it's Shell Factory. So this comes up in the interview that we're gonna we're gonna get to soon. That uh, I know, what's his name? Who's the fucking guy that made uh from Dust Till Dawn? Robert Rodriguez. Yeah, yeah. I think Robert Rodriguez. He had like a TV channel for a little while, and and I know he was 
playing Santo Flicks, and I think he might have commissioned some restorations. I, I could be mistaken here, but it kind of seems like maybe that, that happened. I'm not too sure. I don't get why there aren't more. I mean, like John just said, there is a box set, but like there are 50 of these movies. Why aren't there better releases of more of them? Like, hello, Blu-ray companies, if you're listening, give the people what they want. Yeah, and <laughs> it's it's so funny. Um, I'm used to... I haven't really watched a lot of Spanish language films and even fewer Mexican films. And and I, I usually I'm watching like, you know, fucking dirty old Hong Kong flicks. And I I've been tempted at times when there are movies that I really want to see, but there's just there's no English subs for them. Or or the hard coded burnt in subs are just impossible to read. And I'm like tempted to learn fucking Mandarin. Just so I can watch like the dirty lizard sex flick that I want to watch, but but now, um, I I want to learn Spanish because there's so many interviews with Santo that there's no subtitles, there's no you know translations out there, and I like I was desperate to watch his final interview, where where he removes his mask to the crowd for the first time, and it's this like super emotional interview with the guy and, and he died like 10 days after the interview but like I didn't understand what they were saying and I could like hear people in the audience like weeping almost and I'm like what the fuck are they saying like I I, I desperately want to learn Spanish so I can watch Santo movies Santo movies yeah I, I went down the route fairly recent like the past few years of mexican gothic horror movies oh yeah and holy shit they are so fucking good like uh this the one um the curse of the crying woman is the mexican black sunday and it fucking like rips like i highly recommend it to anybody like if, if you're looking for one to start that's the one whoa yeah, I, I really would love us to do more Mexican horror. And obviously, if anybody knows my commentary work, I've done a lot of Spanish horror and sort of like Spanish cult commentaries. But some of these Mexican films, I think it's it's such a shame that they're so kind of forgotten about because a lot of them you can find online or even on YouTube. And thinking about how many movies that Santo made that have those elements. Like we'll, we'll talk a little bit later about some of the additional ones we watched and our favorites, but there are so many good Gothic horror moments, even just in Santo movies. Like obviously Dracula and the Wolfman are, you know, two classic horror figures and like they are, portrayed kind of cheesy in some moments in yeah, these films oh, for sure but there are also these great sequences like dracula like holes up in this abandoned house where he lures santo and it, there's this like pit of stakes and a cave and he oh, has yeah. these vampire brides who are covered in this sort of sheer red or black lace it's there are these giant brass bats that spew fire. It's it's there's so much amazing stuff going on here. Yeah. I think this one is 
if it, this one's not my favorite, it's in my top three easily. Yeah, yeah. My, me too. Yeah, Sansa and the Blue Demon versus Dracula and the Wolfman. And it's this, awesome. this like stylish Wolfman who he basically kind of tricks one of the female characters into falling in love with him all because like he knows he's hot. Yeah. <laughs> That's one thing that like I found very original about this movie Usually with the Wolfman, you get like this tortured soul who knows at full moon he's going to murder innocent people. This guy, like when he's not like Wolfmanning it up, he's just like, yeah, I know I'm a Wolfman. I'm going to turn into a bad guy later and fucking kill everybody. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, he, he is this like Lothario type of figure. And Dracula is equally amazing i mean dracula's in a couple santo movies and has these great scenes where he's just a rubber bat which which (laughs) oh gosh yeah i love that bat that bat shows up at so many of these flicks and it's like oh there's my boy again (laughs) i'm i'm never sad about seeing a vampire turn into a rubber bat Mm -mm. on a string ever did you guys notice that this movie borrows the resurrection scene from Dracula, Prince of Darkness? Yeah, which is and like the music. One of the most brutal. Yeah. Yeah. So if you if you pay attention, and like us, you've seen a million Dracula movies, there's this really gorgeous music from Dracula, Prince of Darkness that shows up here in the Dracula resurrection scene that Francis Ford Coppola later used the same music as the foundation of the score for Bram Stoker's Dracula. It's I like I love hearing this music pop up so much. And there are definitely other kind of nods to Hammer, I think. Yeah, so before we we track down David Wilt, who was the subject of the interview that you did, Sam, we we went on his YouTube page and he has this incredible series of videos all about uh, vampirism in Mexican cinema. And it was it was so good. And we knew we had to track him down and get an interview with him because the guy, like, n- he knows his shit. Like, he's a brilliant man, but he also has this, like, very dry, like, professor sense of humor that shows up in the videos. And the second and third video in, in this series were all about Santo's encounters with vampires throughout his 50 film run and, and like in encounters with the supernatural. And it was just I highly recommend you check out David Wilt's YouTube channel, which we'll link to in the in the show notes. For oh, sure. Absolutely. So David Wilt is somebody that I found out about through Pete Toombs. Uh, If you don't know Pete Toombs' work, he's instrumental in introducing people to a lot of Euro horror and horror movies around the world throughout his Mondo Macabro film label, various books. But there used to be a Mondo Macabro TV show where he would do segments on cult films from different parts of the world and David Wilt is interviewed in the Mexican segment and like we said he's a film historian a professor he has this great YouTube channel he's written a couple books and tons of articles also if if anyone remembers these there was this DVD label called Casa Negra and They're highly out of print at this point, but they released some of those great 
Mexican gothic horror movies that John mentioned, like Crying Woman. And he did a lot of the liner essays that came with those movies. Uh, He also has this great newsletter called the Mexican Film Bulletin that we'll link to. And his specialty is really more in Mexican pop culture than specifically horror films. And one of the things that I found the most interesting from talking to him is I think it's important to think about Santo not just as a cult movie figure, but as this, you know, entire pop culture phenomenon, which is just fascinating. Yeah. Okay. So I guess without further ado, uh, here's the interview. Uh, We'll be back afterwards to keep talking about Santo movies. I guess one thing I have been really curious about is how wrestlers wound up becoming heroes in Mexican movies in the first place. I often try to think of some sort of analogy to, say, a Hollywood movie, um, and it's really difficult for me to figure that out. You know, it's it's sort of a long story, but we'll we'll try to deal with it. But for example, you know, is Santo similar? You know, he's an athlete who became a movie star. Um, is that like Johnny Weissmuller, who was an, uh, won five Olympic gold medals for swimming and then became Tarzan in the 30s and 40s and Jungle Jim? But no, I mean, an Olympic swimmer is you're famous for a little while in fairly narrow area. You know, is he like The Rock? And that's a sort of a similar situation, but uh, The Rock more or less retired from wrestling professionally, mostly uh, when he started becoming a a big actor. Um, And Santo maintained these parallel careers. So... You know, and it's not a situation like there's a pre-existing superhero character like Batman or Superman who is interpreted by various people coming from another media. Santo began wrestling in the 1930s as a young man. His couple of his brothers were professional wrestlers and wrestling uh, really became popular in Mexico beginning in the 30s, imported from the United States. But he wrestled under a bunch of different names. You know, his his real name was Rodolfo Guzman, and so he was Rudy Guzman for a while. Um, But in 1942, uh, there was a promoter, and the promoter said, you know, let's change to something else. Uh, The ones you've tried lately are not so good. And he gave him a choice, and and Santo said, oh, I'll, I'll be El Santo. So Santo was a professional wrestler, and he was pretty successful. One of the things that people uh, not in to Santo don't really know. And I'm not a wrestling historian, but Santo was actually a, uh, what was called a rudo, a bad guy wrestler. In the United States in wrestling, you have the face who's the good guy and the heels who are the bad guy. So in Mexico, you have the technicos who are the good guys who are the technically expertise and they obey all the rules. And then you have the rudos who are the bad guys who break the rules. So Santo was a rudo, um, but he was still very popular. He didn't actually convert to be a technico until 1962 or 63. 
when he was oh, already wow. making movies. Um, so you have this sort of bad guy wrestler, but he's still very popular. He's not like a villain, but he's, you know, he's not one of the good guys. Um, so he starts wrestling in the 40s, becomes pretty popular. 1952, television starts to become more popular in Mexico. It lags behind, of course, the United States, which is a much more developed country. Um, and wrestling becomes super popular on Mexican television. 1952, you have the first issue of the Santo comic book. It's not it's not what we would call a comic book. It's not a drawn comic. It's um, used what was called photomontaje, which is uh, photographs okay. and drawings pasted up, which is also different than, say, fumetti or, or photo comics, yeah, yeah. which are posed. So a fairly famous publisher artist named Jose G. Cruz, for some reason, decided to start uh, a Santo comic. And Santo... You know, it was licensed. Santo actually posed for a bunch of the pictures. And so that becomes, in addition to his wrestling, and in 1952, the Mexican film industry says, hey, wrestling is pretty popular. Let's make some wrestling movies. They had previously made a handful, but they were uh, like, you know, goofy comedian has to make money, so he becomes a wrestler, gets beat up or whatever. But in 1952, you have three seminal wrestling movies. Hurricane Ramirez, which is a masked wrestler, but it's a sports drama. You know, his girlfriend's kidnapped by gangsters who want him to throw the match. Then you have um, fantasy wrestling comedy, a luchador fenomeno, which is, it's a sequel to a film where the comedian is possessed by the spirit of a dead baseball player and becomes a great baseball player. So in the sequel, he's possessed by the spirit of a great wrestler and becomes a great wrestler. So that's the second one. And then the third one is El Enmascarado de Plata, which is Santo's nickname. And it was actually made as a multi-part serial, which was not a format that was used in Mexico. In the United States, it was you know, you had a lot of serials, 30s, 40s. Yeah, that, I, I, so, I wanted to ask you about yeah. that, actually, because some of these Santo movies really remind me so much of the early film serials in the way that they, like, follow the same kinds of themes, and it's just such a fascinating, like... Yeah, clearly genre. there were, and in fact, to jump ahead a little bit, the earliest, well, not the very first two, but the earliest Mexican-made Santo films clearly were also influenced by Batman, like the Batman comics, because yeah. he has his laboratory. He has a butler who looks like the comic book <laughs> Alfred, sort of. So um, there was a lot of influences there. But this, so El Mascarado de Plata is a film made in 52, but it doesn't feature El Santo, even though it's roughly based on Jose G. Cruz's comic book, because El Santo they wouldn't pay him enough or he didn't think it would be successful. You know, he turned it down. And so they put another oh, wow. sort of lookalike, um, El Medico Asesino, who wore a similar sort of mask. And they said, well, we got to call it El Enmascarado de Plata. So one of the villains becomes a silver masked man. So, <laughs> so those films, and you have a handful more over the next few years, not, and in Mascarado de Plata, he is, a costume superhero and a professional wrestler. They make that connection. 
So next few years, you have some Mexican films, well, actually quite a few with masked superheroes, some played by wrestlers, but they didn't play wrestlers in the film. Um, so uh, Fernando Osez, who's in a lot of Santo movies, um, you know, is El Sombra Vengadora. He's a masked superhero. Uh, so then you get to late 50s. Santo comic is being published super popular. I mean, hundreds of thousands of copies. Um, and at times it's published twice a week. Uh, wow. So uh, it's really, really very popular. And so in late 1950s, still not in the uh, Mexican film industry, the main industry, uh, independent producer uh, pays Santo and they go to Cuba, oddly enough, to make some films. And they make the first two Santo movies there. Don't really fit the Santo that we come to know later on. He doesn't really have a personality. Uh, he's sort of a deus ex machina, etc. But you get those. And then in the early 60s, you get the Santo films. And really, he is the first person to make uh, a consecutive series of films as a wrestling superhero. You could, in the early 1960s, go to see Santo wrestle live. And you could go watch him wrestle on television. You could go to the movies and see a Santo film, and you could go to the newsstand to buy a Santo comic book. Yeah, that's actually one of the main things that I was curious about is, you know, as somebody who grew up kind of adjacent to the U.S., you know, wrestling popularity with the WWF, which became WWE and how it was always on television, I think as a cult movie fan, the way I was introduced to Santo and Santo movies is they kind of are treated as these like psychotronic B movies, these kind of guilty pleasure, low budget movies. And, you know, based on what you're saying, it seems like it wasn't like that in Mexico at all when the films were released. Like he was taken more seriously, maybe? Just based on anecdotal type of things, but uh, his films were still considered low-class films for, for working-class okay. audiences. Presumably, uh, and this is sort of uh, speculation, but it's informed speculation, the primary audiences for professional wrestling in Mexico were working-class people. It was not uh, uh, for the intellectuals, the intelligentsia um, at that point, did not go to wrestling. Um, you know, certainly they didn't buy the Santo comic books. Uh, when you, there are some um, Mexican films uh, over the years where they have characters who are reading Santo comics or talking about El Santo, and in virtually every instance, it's a working class character. And so they're portrayed as sort of not as dummies. Well, actually, some of them, there's goofy. There's a, a film set in a Mexican small town, and there's two Mexican small town policemen who were played by comedians. And there's a running argument they have in it throughout the film, who's better, Santo or Superman? You know, well, Santo, he's the Mexican superhero. Yeah, but Superman, he can fly and he goes to other planets. So it's these two goofy guys having this 
uh, argument, sort of a nationalistic argument about our national hero versus the gringo's hero of Superman. Uh, and I do know, even as recently as the 90s, uh, I know for a fact that when people in other countries, United States or England, for example, would want to have a Mexican film festival and they would contact the Mexican embassy and say, you know, hook us up with some Mexican film prints. Can we get an El Santo film? And it's like, oh, no, you don't want those. Those are, are <laughs> trashy films. Uh, that certainly has changed and it's generational. It's also, I think, the internet that now Santo has a, um, a nostalgia factor. You read articles about him and you know there's figures, wax figures in museums. His hometown has statues. You know, it, it is, it's now cool to like El Santo and Santo films. But at the time, um, they weren't crossover popular. If you look at the box office numbers, and it's, it's very speculative in Mexico, the information that you have in these periods are primarily when it was released in Mexico City and how many weeks it was in Mexico City in its opening engagement. So it doesn't really take into account how popular Santo films were in the provinces, as they say. The Santo film that lasted the longest in Mexico City in its premiere engagement was Las Momias de Guanajuato, which was nine weeks, which is pretty respectable. But then you look at a Cantinflas film, the great comedian, you know, it's 26 weeks or something like that, or some um, sort of notorious film that, you know, has sexy stuff in it, you know, 35 weeks. So, you know, Santo was, his films made money clearly or they wouldn't keep making them, but it's hard to judge exactly how popular they were. You know, other thing you can look and say, for example, Santo versus Las Mujeres Vampiro, one of his most famous films. So you can see the posters from its original release. And so how many re-release posters can you see? And there's many, many versions, which means that film was in theaters for years and years and years. I did a troll through newspapers.com, which is American newspapers, but looking for yeah. Santo films. And you'll see Santo films playing Spanish language theaters in the United States 10 years after they were released wow. um, because they're still very popular. And the same thing applies to the Cantinflas, for example. Cantinflas makes his last film in the early 1980s, and I remember seeing them in theaters in the United States in the 90s, and if there were still theaters that showed Spanish-language films, they still would be showing Cantinflas and probably El Santo movies, so... So something else I wanted to ask you about is more kind of subject matter related. So obviously there are, you know, 50 or more movies with Santo in them and they have these very kind of cult movie type plots. Like a lot of them involve, you know, witches and vampires. And I, I guess I'm curious if you think there are sort of set themes that the screenwriters would bounce around from and kind of where those came from? Like, did they come from any of the comic books? Actually, the comic books are considerably more uh, outré than the Santo movies. For one thing, you can show Santo 
as he did in some of the 1950s comics, going to hell and fighting Satan um, and Amazing. fighting a giant monster. And you don't really have the budget or technical expertise to do that in a film. So, but yes, the, the Santo comics started very early as mostly as crime oriented, but then pretty quickly in the 50s became very fantasy oriented. Um, and those were pretty popular themes. And so probably some of that did apply. His earliest films have some minor science fiction-y type of stuff, but mostly a crime. So, but then when you start Santo versus the zombies, Santo versus the vampire women, and then for the rest of his career, you know, you'd see vampire, vampire, witch, wolfman, Frankenstein, monster, outer space, blob, etc. But then interspersed with those would be, you know, Western, jungle movie, crime film, you know, drug smugglers, things like that. I think if you added them up, there would be a very slight lean towards the fantasy. and But those are the ones that people remember. They're much yeah. more interesting, particularly if for psychotronic type of film fans, you know, Santo versus La Mafia de Vicio is just a crime film. Uh, and it has its uh, interest if you're a Santo fan or a Mexican film fan, but you, there's no monsters, no science fiction -y type of stuff. So it's much better to watch Santo versus Dracula and Wolfman, um, which you know everybody can identify with. Santo versus Cazadores de Cabezas, Santo versus the Headhunters, which is just a jungle movie. He goes to to South America and meets a bunch of headhunters. It's, <laughs> it's, it's boring. I mean, he just, it's just him and a bunch of other people walking through the jungle, walking through the jungle, always attacked by vampire bats, but they're like, <laughs> you know, for 30 seconds or something. And so, you know, who wants to see that? Uh, speaking of vampires, the answer to this might be no, but I was kind of wondering if, they ran into any issues from Universal because I know that in the late 50s when a studio like Hammer in England started making their own gothic horror movies and they made what I think a lot of people sort of think of as their own versions of the original Universal monster movies, Universal was kind of not happy about that, but did they even notice that Santo was including Dracula and Frankenstein and yeah, such? that's you know my guess is that Mexican films flew below the radar, even though they that's were shown think, in the yeah. United States. Um, you know there are the Santo ones are not even the most egregious examples. For example, 1957 you have uh, El Castillo de los Monstruos, which is a comedy. It has the Frankenstein monster. It has the mummy, it has a wolf man, and it has a reasonable facsimile of the gill man from the creature from the Black Lagoon. And they're Sounds all amazing. on the poster. Nobody <laughs> bothers with it. Frankenstein, El Vampiro y Compañía, 1961, is a remake of Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. And wow. not a loose remake, a super close remake. Wow. Sometimes you will see, and I tend to think it's more... Uh, originally, I thought it was, oh, well, we'll do this and it'll throw them off the track because we won't be infringing on their, their copyright. Frankenstein is spelled different ways. You know, Frankenstein. I've seen the Q spelling. And so 
but I really think that's just a coincidence. You know, we just that's the way they pronounced it in Santo and Blue Demon versus the Monsters. Frankenstein's monster, it's a Don Post mask that they glued a little mustache and goatee on. <laughs> um, so they don't make any real attempt to change things around. I mean, Santo versus Frankenstein's daughter, the Frankenstein's monster in there, he, he's not called, well, she's called Frida Frankenstein, but Frankenstein's yeah. monster sort of has a boxy head, a little bit like... Um, the uh, one of the Hammer Frankenstein movies from the early 60s. But Santo and Blue Demon versus Dr. Frankenstein, the Frankenstein's monster is this bald black guy. So, yes, uh, I love know, that one. It's, you know, it's <laughs> it's not Frankenstein, really. Uh, so, yeah, I think that uh, they they really didn't pay attention to the Mexican films, the Mexican filmmakers. Now, some of this could be legit but I tend to think it's not. There is music from Hollywood films. There's stock footage from Hollywood films. Um, there are multiple examples of films that are remakes of Hollywood films, uh, you know, identical practically, with except for the budget differences. So, uh, and I don't know of any instances where anybody uh, got sued or, and as I said, as far as I know, there was not even any attempt to keep them from being shown in the United States. It's interesting that probably because these were Mexican, not English language films that nobody even noticed, which sort of brings me to one of my last questions, which is, you know, I think as somebody who's a cult movie fan and is exposed to a lot of, you know, just sort of trends of what other cult movie fans like, it seems like Mexican genre cinema is still really unknown and unappreciated. And so I guess I was wondering how you would suggest that if people want to get into more than just the Santo movies, like maybe where they could start, whether that's a movie or a director or some particular resource. Yeah, um, it's... Now, of course, we live in the Internet age, which uh, I'm old enough to really remember when I was studying film, I had to rent 16 millimeter prints of films and I had to get up at two o'clock in the morning to watch Channel 13 in Baltimore that showed old RKO movies. That was even pre VCR. So now just about anybody can go on the Internet and if they know what to look for, you're right. Yeah. Um, you know, you can go look up El Santo and get a list of all his films. And most of his films are pretty readily available, some of them legitimately, many of them sort of dodgy. Um, but, you know, on the Internet, who cares? Give me a hell yeah! I said give me a hell yeah! There's a huge amount of Mexican cinema that is in only Spanish. Fortunately for those of us who like horror movies and stuff, horror movies are very exportable and are very uh, of interest to a lot of people. And so they're commercially released. I mean, going back to the 60s, Kay Gordon Murray buys a bunch of Mexican films, dubs them into English. He didn't buy Mexican westerns. He didn't buy Mexican dramas. He didn't buy Louis Bunuel films. He bought Santo films and Abel Salazar films, etc. You know, that carries over into 
you know, fan-subbed stuff, which is available, and now to commercially uh, available things. Since I speak Spanish, I, I don't like the, to watch those, but I can't put my worldview on everyone else. So if you want to start, you could start really Mexican horror. The early 70s, mid-70s, you have a lot of stuff that you can watch. Now, once again, I, I, I appreciate K. Gordon Murray's films, and so <laughs> if you have to watch The Brainiac instead of El Baron del Terror, which is the Spanish-language version, then you know at least you're seeing something. And one thing K. Gordon Murray uh, he didn't cut his films, it, most, and he didn't really even change the dialogue significantly. So you're, it's just sort of the voice acting that's clunky. But so two that I would recommend, Bloody Vampire and Invasion of the Vampires. Maybe both of them were. They're really, they're a linked pair of films, really well put together, um, very atmospheric. Um, and then the serious people like... Juan Lopez Moctezuma. I love Acción him. Acción de Terror, um, Alucarda, uh, Mary Mary Bloody Mary. Yeah, um, I'm a big fan of so, that one. Uh, when you get into the later years, the 80s and 90s, uh, you're, you're not getting a lot of stuff. Um, when you get into the 2000s, 2010s, you get this new wave. But anything from the 80s onward, including this sort of new wave like um, Mexico Barbaro, Barbaros Mexico, um, which it's not to my taste. It's you know, short stories and very gory. Um, but the 80s onward, they're, to me, they're much less Mexican and they're more Hollywood influenced. If you see Cementerio del Terror, Ladrones de Tumbas, made by a guy who went to film school in the United States. And so, you know, he's making American style Movies, Don't Panic is another one. They're so um, fun, though. <laughs> you know, they are a lot of fun, but you don't get the same cultural feel out of them. Um, and you also, when you hit the late 80s, really, into the 90s, you get a lot of um, direct-to-video stuff, which is, some of it is pretty weird and wacky, but it's all made very low budget, either shot on 16mm or... Horror of horror shot on uh, video, consumer like <laughs> grade video. Not even, I mean, digital didn't really exist back then. Yeah. Um, so that is an uh, uh, an unknown world that you can explore. Sometimes you'll find weird stuff like um, one called uh, Hades, Vida Después de la Muerte, Hell, Life After Death, which is a Christian film, oh. but it's um, <laughs> about a guy, a kid, or, or I don't know, a young man who dies, and he was a rat during his life, you know, a nasty person, used drugs, was mean to his girlfriend, and so the film is his flashbacks of how bad he was as he flees these devils that are chasing him to take him to hell. So it's quite entertaining. Uh, the, the, the guy who made that is a guy named Paco del Toro, who is a Christian filmmaker. But he makes films that show you sinning, sinful things, 
And so that at the end he can say, but remember, you can get saved. Don't do those. Right. So you have 75 minutes of, you know, this guy being a jerk and being pursued by these demons. And then at the very end, he goes, oh, if only I had been saved, I would have been a better person. So, you know, those are quite entertaining. So, yeah, it's all out there. The Internet is a playground. And I read that somewhere. It truly um, is. Yeah, you don't have to find, you know, bootleggers willing to sell you a 10th generation VHS tape. <laughs> yep. So if people want to find more of your work, where can they go? Well, I mean, I, I have a number of websites, um, you know, and probably the easiest one to get to is um, Films of El Santo, if you just search that. And I have one on what I call New Yorican films, films made in New York by by uh, Latino filmmakers. And that's 60s, 70s. So they're, once again, they're wacky um, nice. exploitation types of films. And so uh, probably the Santo site probably has links back to my main site. And then my... Um, you know, sort of my CV online, which lists you know, a lot of the DVDs and Blu-rays I'm working on and books I've written, etc. You know, I have I've wrote a book called The Mexican Filmography, which was an attempt to list every Mexican film ever made up wow. to the point that it was written um, because there was nothing in English uh, yeah. to do for that. Um, but I've, you know, I've written books on World War II cartoons, World War II films, um, you know, comic books, pulp magazines, etc. So I'm a pop culture uh, generalist, as they say. So. Nice. Well, we will definitely link to some of those things in the show notes and to your YouTube channel, which has some great stuff about... Yeah, I haven't done anything on YouTube for a while, but I am seriously considering retiring from one of my jobs this summer and that allow me more time to go back and make more youtube videos you should because those <laughs> that are up there are great i love the mexican vampire one yep you don't have to worry about any rights when you're using youtube or at least don't tell anyone that you're clearing <laughs> the clips so. well thank you so much no problem a wealth of knowledge i you know anybody asks me to talk I will talk and I can keep talking till you tell me to stop talking. <laughs> well, this was very helpful. Thank you. All right. Have a good afternoon. You too. All right. And we are back to the show. Uh, I guess one more thing I, I wanted to throw at you guys. I mean, we, we touched on this earlier, but there's so many tropes throughout these Santo movies but what are some of your favorite elements and what are some of your favorite Santo movies that we haven't haven't quite touched on? Well, I'm glad you asked because as anyone who listens to the show knows, I love to make a list. Yeah. And I love themes. <laughs> uh, so sort of like John said at the beginning of the episode, it's hard to talk about like one or two unifying themes because there are so many different subgenres, but there are definitely things that kind of repeat over and over again. Like Charles mentioned, Santo's usually approached by a stranger, sometimes a friend who is a character that like we've never heard of in any of the other movies who asks him to save the day. Um, the thing that I think is so wild is a lot of these movies feature mad scientists as villains 
And sometimes, especially in the early movies, Santo himself is shown to be a scientist and like has his yeah. own science lab. Yeah, he's got a fucking lab and he's got like a lab assistant and like it's it's almost like fucking uh like wrestling and and like going in the fucking ring and fighting fucking demons. That's like his day job, you know, but he's got other stuff that he does. I'm, he's such an interesting character. One of the things I love is that it would be like in the middle of the movie and they're like, we need to go here. And then Santo would be like, yes, but first I have to go to the ring. And then it's <laughs> yeah. just a random yeah. wrestling match just because they have to have it. Because you'd imagine his fan base want to see him wrestle. Totally. But like when they're just tacked in there like that, it always makes me laugh. I, I So I started following someone on Letterboxd who – like watched and reviewed every single Santo flick and fucking loved him. And and I realized a lot of his reviews, like when he would give like one or two stars to a few of the movies, most of them he gave five stars to. He loved the fucking flicks. But some of the ones that he gave one and two stars to, his complaint was, there isn't enough luchador wrestling. Where's the wrestling? And I realized when I was watching these movies, at first, whenever like the movies would stop, you know, being about, you know, some crazy drug smuggling criminal organization in the jungle that Santos investigating and they went back to the squared circle so they can have a fight scene I, I sometimes would kind of check out you know that was like the least interesting stuff to me as someone who wasn't a big wrestling fan but then the more of these flicks I watched I started to get invested in these fights like I realize now why people love wrestling and I and I didn't I did it before going into it. To me, it was kind of just like some goofball thing that like wasn't my thing. But I would get invested in these fight scenes. And like and sometimes they would tie into the movie and it was like that was very unexpected to me. Oh my god, Santo and and I know this happens in a bunch of movies, but Santo and Blue Demon versus the Monsters is another one of my absolute favorites because it has this other recurring trope that does happen throughout the movies which is whoever the main villain is or the villain's henchmen find their way into the wrestling matches and usually there's just this scene of fucking chaos yeah where santo is like battling a cyclops on the wrestling mat or like one of the characters who plays frankenstein's monster switches places unbeknownst to anyone yeah. with the person that Santa oh, was actually yeah. supposed to be wrestling and then pulls the mask off and it's like surprise now you're battling this like monster from hell yeah that was that was <laughs> my favorite like that was when I realized that I fucking loved the all the lucha stuff that would like you know before it took me out was in uh it was Frankenstein or I'm sorry Santo versus Frankenstein or Santa the Blue Demon versus Frankenstein it's so good. Oh, it's awesome. It's so fucking cool. Like, the, the, the Frankenstein's monster that they have in this flick, like, is such a force to reckon with. And, like, Santo knows off the bat, he's like, this guy can squeeze my head no problem. Like, I am no match for this guy. And, and I, I think that's so cool that, like, he's not constantly swinging his dick around. Santo, I mean, he, he recognizes when he's outmatched and outclassed. And he knows that he has to figure out another way around all this stuff. But that one has, like, the best lucha fighting in any of these flicks. Like, it's just, it's so cool. And it feels to me like, 
like there was a while when I was younger, I guess like in the heyday of the WWF or WWE, when like Stone Cold was fighting like The Rock and like Mankind and The Undertaker were there. I love The Undertaker. It was an excellent era for that stuff. And I was like the perfect age for this. And and they always had all this crazy backstage drama, you know, where like lots of shit talking, so much shit talking. And they would build up all these crazy, complex stories. And and I realized watching these Santo flicks that that's kind of the same like myth making that Santo's doing, you know, that they, they build up all these crazy stories and then they find a way to tie it in to the real show, the real draw. The fucking, you know, the lucha match. And it's so cool. One of the things that I think I love the most about Santo's character is he, even though he's presented as kind of being superhero-like or maybe more of a folk hero, like you said, he's not indestructible and he can be hurt. There are times where he's knocked out and he never seems embarrassed about relying on other people for help. Like, he is solo in a lot of movies but he also has I think the best ones to me are the ones where he's with Blue Demon or like we said earlier sometimes a girlfriend will come to his aid or a friend and there's no there's no like weird macho resistance against that it's it's, so unexpected it really is but something that strikes me as weird that we haven't really talked about is while there are these like hot ladies and girlfriends and there are so many movies which we'll talk more about this in a second when we get to our other favorites there are so many movies with like hot lady monsters like female vampires and witches and werewolves but these movies generally don't have a lot of sex or nudity yeah, so that's okay. What was the one, John, that you suggested to us? He's he's fighting the same Dracula from Dracula and uh, the Wolfman. Oh, is it the the Santo and the Treasure of Dracula? Yeah, yes. the so, one where so the good. one that begins, <laughs> begins with time travel. And <laughs> and Santo has a lab where he's built a time traveling device and is trying to show it to other scientists who scoff at him. Yeah, and and and, <laughs> and like he sends this one girl, his fucking girlfriend, he sends his girlfriend back in time, and it does the same thing that like Trancers does, where you go back in time and you go into the body of an ancestor, which is a great fucking sci-fi plot device and she goes back in time and and the meat of the movie is this like incredible like hammer-esque fucking castle drama with this fucking brutal dracula and she gets like sucked into like his plans and stuff and like santo is like barely in he's not in any of that stuff he's watching from his television in his lab <laughs> that looks back on the past but this is one of those movies this was directed by ray cardona who made some excellent fucking you know exploitation yeah. fucking horror flicks we love renee cardona and renee cardona junior even more yeah they're they're definitely yeah. a great father son duo Junior does too much tiger shark killing real footage for me, but I like it. Oh, oh, and Tintorera, yeah. Not even that. Like me, um, I watched the one where it's like this Bermuda Triangle. I love that one. 
it, it's a nice movie, but then it's just like, oh, we have like 20 minutes of like tiger sharks getting spear gunned to death. Let's just put it in there. Yeah. I'm like, come on. Why I mean, did you have to do he that? He also today? has violence against cats. <laughs> I'm going to show you something that only two people in the world know about. These are Hugo's pussy cats. Hugo takes good care of his pets. He loves his cats and feeds them a very special recipe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to, to go quickly back to uh, San, Santo and the Dracula's treasure. What's it called? Yeah, and the treasure, treasure of Dracula. Treasure of Dracula. So it was it was a fun flick. It was it was interesting enough, but it wasn't my favorite of of the Santo flicks. And then after watching it. I I logged it and then I I looked it up a little bit and I learned R- Rene Cardona shot a bunch of like not X-rated but a bunch of like nudity scenes for the European market like there's it, it had a different title called The Vampire and the Sex and I was like holy shit there's a fucking dirty version of this Santo flick with like a bunch of fucking titties hanging out like this is crazy and then I realized like I don't want to see that. Like, you know, like, and I love that shit. But I was like, that just feels wrong for a Santo movie. And after after Santo learned that this was done, that this, like, dirty version was shot, he went to the director and he went to the producers and he begged them. He said, hey, don't release this. Like, this isn't, this isn't cool. This isn't what we do, you know? This ain't who I am. Like, I don't want my name attached to this like you know uh, adult themed product you know yeah it's like showing a dick in scooby-doo like it just doesn't fit no and that i think is definitely it's there is a little bit of a hazy line because i think there does start to be more sexual content once you get towards the 80s and i don't think we really said but Santo started making movies in the late 50s, but they don't really feel like the movies we're talking about until the early 60s. And so it's like there's this just enormously long run where he's making all these movies in the 60s and 70s and into the early 80s. But like some of the people he worked with definitely made cult movies with more sexual content like you know, even though, as Charles pointed out, he made movies with a bunch of different studios, he worked with some of the same directors who also made other great, way sexier Mexican horror movies like Rene Cardona, uh, Gilberto Martinez uh, Solares, who did Satanico Pandemonium, which is on a whole different level than these, uh, Miguel Delgado... And some of the writers who also worked on some of the gothic horror movies that John mentioned earlier. So it's like he shouldn't have been totally surprised. Yeah. Yeah. But but still, I also I love the fact that the directors and the producers agreed to his wishes that were like, okay, dude, you know, we respect you and we want to work with you again. Yeah. So. We'll we'll scrap this movie and it was lost. Like this, the the dirty cut, the vampire and the sex was lost forever, and someone like discovered it in like the two thousands. And I think like Guillermo del Toro did a screening of it in Mexico City, 
Uh, oh my god, I wish that we could get yeah. into yeah. we could get into Santos time machine and go to that screening. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like it, it's so long past the time that yeah, fucking if you find the fucking dirty nasty version of a Santo flick that someone edited, you know, for the the European market, yeah, th- release it. Have let's, at it. Let's let's check it out. But another thing that that David Wilt mentioned in the interview and and came up in our research that I think is just so interesting is so I expected these Santo movies to kind of start off a little rough where they're trying to find their footing and figure out what it is they're doing and what's like, you know, like who Santo is and what's so cool about it. And there would be this like this arcing rise where the movies like get better and better and better. And then they peak and then they kind of start to taper off. Like this happens with a lot of long running film series that kind of have this arc you know but what's so interesting about santo is that like david what was saying he he signed up for a studio or for a producer for like three movies they would make three three flicks dump dump them out and then another studio he would work with them and he would like kind of circle like five studios or a handful of studios and so that's why when you're watching these movies like some are definitely better than others but they're not in this arcing pattern, it's like a fucking wave, you know, it's like going up and down, up and down where there's like, like when you're watching a random one from the sixties, you don't know if you're going to get that gorgeous hammer set or if you're going to get like a fucking power Rangers episode looking thing. I you know? love it though. Come in. This is my mechanical invention. It's actually a time machine. The experiments consist in making the chosen subject by the composition of its atoms to be projected in time and space to a previous life. Well, looking at the kind of furniture, she seems to be at the end of the last century. Indeed. Luisa lived in the same time as a vampire. Count Alucard. Which brings me to, okay, do you guys, so obviously we talked about Santo and Blue Demon versus Dracula and Frankenstein, which we all love. And if you have never seen a Santo movie, that is really a great one to start with. But do you guys have other, like, absolute must-see favorites? John, did you see the one where they're in, like, Bermuda or something? They're in the underwater lab? No, I wanted to see. Is is that the Atlantis one? Yeah, yeah. Santa yeah, versus Blue Demon in Atlantis. Yeah, Yo, you would love that one. They have um like stock footage from some Toho movie in the beginning. Like, there's all these miniatures, Sick. and I'm watching. And I'm like, Yo, I know this shit. It's a Godzilla movie or a Rodan flicker or something. Oh yeah, we didn't even mention. So a lot of these do have kind of lifted stock footage, and some of the Dracula movies have these musical dance interludes that are taken from other Mexican movies. And it's like what when we were watching, I think I think this happens in Santo and Blue Demon versus the Monsters and Santo and the Treasure of Dracula, where they're just these like musical interludes. And I was like, why how did this get here? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry for cutting you off, Johnny. What 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 Santo flex did you love? 
the the one that that I brought up earlier, the the one that's like an Indonesian movie is Psycho. Like it's oh, got, fist like, of it's fist of death, right? Yes, yes, and it's just like you got these two twins. One's good, one's evil, um, and it's the same they, lady. Yes, yes, and and not only that, there's a scene where like they both see the same thing. But rather than having a stand-in, they just do like a De Palma-style split screen, <laughs> and you're supposed to and you're supposed to ignore the black bar in the middle, so that both of them could be on screen at the same time. But it's it's wacky. It feels like a part of all those weird Indonesian black magic movies that were coming around at that time. Not as totally. like crazy and gory or anything, although. Santo does pick up a henchman and throw him into plane propellers. So like, <laughs> and the effects are wild. This fucking Oracle that they speak to, which is just a spray painted C-3PO mask. It's just filled <laughs> with nutty shit like that. And the, and the villain that he fights, imagine a Mexican wrestler version of Scorpion from Mortal Kombat. Oh. And it's just like, it's tight. It's, you gotta see it. Yeah, I think that's Tinieblas, who I talked about earlier, where he has like a full face mask. So it's not like yeah. a regular luchador mask where there are holes for the eyes and mouth. It's like this like sheer thing that goes over his full face, but he rules. Yeah, he was great. He was a good foil for Santo. I watched the one, uh, it's a Western. It's about lepers who escaped the leper colony. Oh my God. But, what? But here's the thing though. It's... They're getting framed for doing things by the bad guy group of bandits. And I was like, okay, that's very nice that, like, Santo decided, like, let's make a movie about these people with leprosy, but we're going to treat them with compassion. And I'm like, that's a very, like, ethical choice. But I, I still wanted to see Santo pick up a leper and spin him around. So <laughs> <laughs> his flesh flew off. <laughs> do you do you know what that one's called santo and the riders of death awesome they all have great titles they really do and and i fucking love santo so much i think that's that's what's so cool about doing this show is i I thought we were gonna be fucking goofing around and we are goofing around but like to fall in love with this fucking character and to know that I mean, I just got done watching 10 Santo movies over the course of a week. And and obviously, to do an episode on Santo, we could have watched three. You know, we could have watched three Santo movies, read the fucking Wikipedia, and, you know. No, we couldn't. Yeah, I know, I That's know. That's some bullshit. But you know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't need... I, I couldn't help it. Like, I fucking fell in love. and And now knowing that there's... 40 more santo movies for me it's a dream come true that i i can throw in a santo flick like a godzilla movie or like a zatoichi movie when i want to watch someone and i know what i'm gonna get even though i've never seen it before and it's just it's so cool i really want to see his like james bond one where he's like straight up doing fucking super spy shit I wonder if the cool walkie-talkie wristwatches that him and Blue Demon have are carried over from them. Oh, I, I bet. Hope so. I bet. Like he's oh, got- wait. Yes, we saw. We definitely saw multiple movies where they use them. Like I want to say they also show up in Santo and Blue Demon versus Dr. Frankenstein, which 
we put on one day thinking we're just going to put this on in the background and then five minutes in, we were just like absorbed yeah. and incapable yeah. of doing well, anything else. That's because we were we were downloading Santo versus the Blue Demon in Atlantis, the one where like fucking he the- fights a Nazi who is obsessed with Greek mythology yeah. and is trying to oh, use wow. n- nuclear weapons to take over the world. Yeah, you're gonna love that one, John. That's the one that <laughs> had the I'm excited Godzilla stock footage. Yeah, and lifted. the the underwater cave. I'm excited. Oh shit! I know the one. What's the one that was on Mystery Science Theater that you said you saw, John? Samson versus the Vampire Women. Uh, they changed his name to Samson when they brought his movies over here for some reason. Yeah. Well, well apparently that's because well, Santo means the saint in in Spanish, and when they were trying to sell it to U.S. audiences, they kind of wanted to carry over that like saintly Christian. And Samson is, you know, a biblical strong figure, man, the, yeah. the strong man in the Bible. Oh, so yeah. that was that was their their reasoning why they called him Samson. But yeah, that's all. K. Gordon Murray. Yeah, I thought I thought something to do because I thought sword and sandal movies were so big around that time that they were trying to make him sound like that. Yeah, I, I think it is that sort of medieval, biblical, ancient world kind of mythological character that they're just trying to sort of rope him in under that umbrella which you know kind of makes sense in a way but also doesn't but to your point if you are trying to find some of these movies you might want to look up the alternate titles and some of them will be samson versus blah 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 instead of santo and that's how you can find some of them that are hidden on youtube yeah but that one, uh, Santo versus the Vampire Women. That one is is probably like it's not my favorite, but it might be the best. It's it's gorgeous to look at. Like the sets are so, so cool creepy. in the fucking end when when Santo's lighting up all the vampire women. They're all in their fucking coffins, and he's just torching them. It's like it's brutal, and the imagery is like it's it's kind of scary. Like it legit feels like a fucking horror movie. Like like a well thought out gothic horror movie that has moments of genuine kind of fear and suspense and atmosphere. It's like it's not I feel like if you watch things like Vampire Women, you really get a sense that this isn't always just some kind of cheap low budget thing that they're trying to churn out like love and care and a lot of talent was put into these. So I love some of the ones we've been talking about for sure, but the one that I want to kind of give a little shout out to is Santo versus the She-Wolves, which has some things in common with Santo versus the Vampire Women. It's like this whole group of female monsters he has to fight, but it also has this kind of amazing Euro horror vibe with this entire kind of like abandoned town full of werewolves that he sort of gets sucked into going there and trying to save the day. And it has a lot of that kind of awesome atmosphere. Yeah, I need to see that one. You do. That one just sounds so fucking cool. You would love There's it. There's one, um, Santo and like the diabolical something, but it's, I couldn't find it anywhere, but it was like the Santo Inquisition movie. Yes, I really want to see that one. It's like I, I Santo and the diabolical axe yeah, or Hatchet or hatchet, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Santo and the Diabolical Hatchet. That's what it is. 
I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to find it for us for October because I it, it will be the good Santa October movie. Yeah. Hell yeah! Oh hell yeah! All right, I got I got one more discussion. I kind of want to conclude the show with it's well, it's a question, and I feel like it's kind of a bit obvious on the surface, judging from our entire discussion so far. But do you have to love wrestling to love Santo? Does does a love no. and and like a knowledge of the history of of wrestling and even like the history of Mexican culture is that necessary to to get into Santo? No way, but I think like we were talking about earlier, if you go into these wanting to watch the horror movie or the cult movie aspects and you don't care about wrestling, I think you will find that you get sucked into the lucha scenes like we did. Yeah, and and on the flip side, if you're someone who fucking loves wrestling but like can't give two shits about Frankenstein's killer arm that is crawling up through a table, uh, you will probably fall in love with that cool cult psychotronic horror movie nonsense. You know, I don't think you need to love wrestling, but I think that if you have if you appreciate the charm of the, like the cheesiness of wrestling, it helps a lot, which I do. Yeah, but I feel like. Wrestling would be so much better if they if they followed Santo. But can you imagine a fucking Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock team up movie where like they fight the mummy? Like, that would be, it would be so fucking cool. Yeah, I oh feel gosh, like that yeah. movie exists and it's called The Mummy Returns and it features The Rock as the Scorpion King. <laughs> but it doesn't have. But it doesn't have Stone Cold. Yeah, fucking slamming down beers <laughs> and like fucking opening up a can of whoop ass. <laughs> yeah, and fucking uh, and like doing Bible verses and stuff. <laughs> what a crazy dude! I will recite to you, in its entirety, William Shakespeare's Hamlet. Well, that ain't Shakespeare. That's a Texas rattlesnake. I uh I once saw a random video and this is like when I had no idea about like Mexican wrestlers or like and exactly how like what how much a big a deal the mask is to them and it's just like a wrestling match and the one guy gets knocked out of the ring and this dude it just watching he's just drinking a beer watching and he reaches over and tries to pull the guy's mask off and the wrestler turns around and beats the ever living piss out of him, like for real. And yeah. I was like, "Holy shit!" Like That's they take awesome. that whole fucking mask thing seriously. So I like in doing research for this, I started researching like wrestling broadly and what some of like the terms were. Do you know what kayfab is or kayfabe? No. So kayfabe is this term that basically is talking about the things that are done for show in wrestling like obviously it's like a drama it's theater. uh it's it's theater but there are moments where things are real and there's like terminology for that too like there's there's like a whole world of like secret words and terms to describe the show of wrestling and and things do get real sometimes in matches because like when you're doing all this like fake theater stuff and then like one wrestler who actually does want the belt will put someone in a hold and and go to break their fucking arm so they're forced to tap out 
and will like actually take the belt, even though that wasn't planned. Yeah. You know, just because like they have to go along with it, you know? So like there are moments where they break kayfabe or they break kayfab. Sorry, I'm, I'm going to be butchering some of these terms. And I think that also like adds to the allure of like, they're fucking around with reality here. One day we're going to have to do an episode on some kind of American wrestling movie. If, if only to talk about how fucking different they are from these Santo movies. But I gotta say, I love suburban commando, but it is, you know, no Santo. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) None, none of our cult figures and folk figures and, and wrestlers, can possibly compare to Santo. It's just, he's on such a different level that you want to compare him to like Batman, like the old Batman serials and how like there's always a new Batman movie, but like Batman's not a real guy. I mean, I do think there's a little bit of crossover in if you're somebody who loves the 60s Batman show, there are some elements of that in the Santo movies, but they take themselves way more seriously. Yeah, absolutely. You can compare Santo to so many different things. Like a little bit. It's not ever a one-to-one comparison. There's no one fucking like Santo, and there's nothing like these Santo movies. You know, it's it's really, it's something special. He's a pop culture phenomenon. Yeah. So uh, you guys got any, any shout-outs you want to do or plugs or anything? Honestly, my biggest shout out is just to, and I know that we we talk about them kind of a lot on here, but Unsung Horrors recently did an episode on the Black Pit of Dr. M. So if you have gotten a taste for Mexican cult movies or Mexican horror and you want to hear more about them, that episode is a great place to go after this. They had on as a guest Abraham Castillo Flores, who is another Mexican cinema expert. He's done lectures. He's done a Miskatonic class and is somebody whose work I think also can be recommended alongside someone like David Wilt, who again, I will put all of that information on where you can find him in the show notes. Yeah. I I want a quick shout out. So it's funny. I reached out to a few people about Santo, but it was after I realized that I became a fan and I loved the guy. And I mostly just wanted to like just talk to people who knew him and, and, and like just chit chat. And and I reached out to uh, a friend of the show, Nikki Mitali, who is Nikki the Fox on Instagram and basically was like, hey, you know, you know about this Santo guy, you know, because we, we follow him. We're friends online. And I know that, that he's like a big wrestling fan loves fucking wrestling and i kind of wanted to hear from someone who loved wrestling and 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 he's he's from la and he like talked to his homies and he got back to me and just gave me this like super earnest like love letter to santo that just kind of reaffirmed my love for the guy too and i was like hell yeah like it it was great talking to to nikki about it so my shout out is to my good old friend (laughs) I'm shouting out to the guy flying me back home so we don't have to do this remote shit for a while. Oh, oh yeah, shout God. out to whatever airline. Spirit, Spirit Airlines. Yeah, well, well, don't count your chickens before they hatch, Johnny. Spirit Airline flights are the worst. They go, they go down true. all the time. 
you know? Yeah, I gotta sleep in the Miami airport for six hours. Let's not instigate John's death anxiety a few days before he has to get on a plane. Well, John, just here, this is what you gotta do. Just take a nap when you get on the flight. Yeah, I'm gonna try. Just think about Santo. Yeah. Right, he'll save me. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I think he's dead. He will live forever. You always have to talk shit every episode. What are you talking about? I'm not talking Santo's shit. Santo's not dead. He's He lives in our hearts. He, he faked his death with Bruce Lee, and they're breaking up the, the drug ranks. I would love that. Can we make that movie? Oh, my God. A Bruce Bluetation Santo team-up movie? Holy shit. Yeah, they, they get the, the son of Santo, and they get the son of Bruce Lee to team up. Oh, wait. Stop. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> All right. See you later, everybody. Night. Bye. <laughs> Did you know that the son of Santo is uh, a like, wrestler? Yeah, and, and he made a Santo movie in 2001. Which is wild. Yeah, what a great legacy to carry on. That was fun. That was great. Zero Woman next, right? Yeah, yeah. You think he flicks Zero Woman?